Daily Afternoon Excess, you're here with Tommy Rocker, and in studio today, special guest, Dan Mangano. How you going? Yeah, good man. Thanks for coming in. No, thanks for having me. I know that um, you've been supportive of me doing this for a long time, and always said you'd come in and help me out when you can. No, definitely. I'm happy to do it. Awesome, man. Well, we've got a lot of stuff to get through, so I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, actually, how I was going to introduce you was he's a man who knows how to bang things and handle a couple of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's hey, it's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this man here sitting across from me, um, known him for a while. We go back a few years. Actually, he's probably the person I've known the longest in Melbourne by pure coincidence. Yeah, jeez, it's been a while. It has. Um, well... <laughs> A few years and actually the circumstances that we met are a little... <laughs> oh, they're not great, let's say. <laughs> There's been better things. Um, so anyway, Mr. Mangano, yes. Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a drummer. He's a songwriter. He's a leader. He's also uh, very knowledgeable on bugs and reptiles and I guess wildlife to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, He's a very smart guy, uh, very switched on, and I'm sure that we can all learn a lot from him today. Um, so I'm going to sort of cut to the chase, break straight into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, going back, and I mean right back. Okay. Obviously, this is going to be a question you get asked a lot, but I sort of want to know the backstory a little more. Um, when you were starting out, uh, you're from Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. When you were starting out, like what made you get into music and not just music but drumming specifically and was there a moment where you decided this is what I really want to do with my life and pursue this more um I mean I got into music um really early on like my my folks signed me up for school keyboard lessons and stuff right from prep and we did lots of lots of ear training and lots of vocal training as well as you know the piano stuff so by the time I got to the end of primary school, I knew that I really enjoyed music. And then when we got to uh, high school and we had to pick our instruments, I initially said drums, and my my family said no. That's <laughs> not would. it's not happening. Yeah. So I ended up picking up saxophone. But uh, right at the end of year seven, we had a music assignment where we had to basically mime and perform a song as a group, like a music video. Kind of, <laughs> but we had to do it in front of the whole class. And yeah, right. a, a couple of my mates played guitar, and were like, "Oh, you know, let's let's do let's do Highway to Hell." And I'd never heard the song. Okay. And I went, "What's that?" They're like, "It's ACDC." I'm like, "I know ACDC. I know TNT. That's a really cool song. Let's check this." And the first time I heard Highway to Hell, I went, "Whoa!" Yeah, right. Okay. And so we did this performance, and I thought, "I'll drum." Just I can I grabbed some drumsticks and played a mate's kit before and kind of had been surprised that I'd been able to pick up like the basic drum like rock beat sure. relatively quickly like because doing piano stuff and that you've also kind of you've already got a little bit of like limb separation like yep. you, you can do different things at the same time yeah so slowly working into that first rock band going how I can do this and I mean that's highway to hell it's like most days it is it's yeah it's that full <laughs> ride standard rock beat so 
Um, after that, me and the guys that I'd been in that group with said, let's keep being a band. And so we just, we never did anything. Like yeah. over the next 18 months, we basically got together, talked shit and then played I Would Hell. Because that was <laughs> on repeat. On, yeah, that I think we picked up Brain Stew by Green Day maybe. Okay, And yeah. I think at one stage we maybe tried something else and it just didn't work. Yeah. But it was always really half-assed. Yeah, And sure. um, <clears throat> basically... Yeah, through high school, like, I had my drum kit and I actually drummed in, like, the local church band and stuff like that because I was in a youth group and stuff like that. And then um, when we got out of high school, you know, obviously Ben had picked up guitar at that point and and Matty Dynan had come to our school and picked up guitar or he'd already been playing. And, yeah, really early after high school, we're talking about, like, the April after high school, we went, we were sitting in a bar and listening to this horrible cover band do a ridiculously shit cover of Run to Paradise and I just remember I'm pretty sure it was Dinan that turned to us and goes we can do that better than that surely yeah right and Ben said we definitely could do that better and I was like should we and that's where a blaze came from (laughs) and ever since then in one form or another through to where we are today that's yeah when I decided look I need to keep pushing ahead with my drums I was self-taught Yep. everything had basically come from playing along to songs that I liked. So, I mean, when I did that initial assignment in Year 7, my mate gave me a CD that was burnt with like 10 ACDC songs. That's all I listened to for about 12 months was that CD. That was your and soul so, food. That's it. So <laughs> I was getting into rock via that and then later yeah. on I got introduced to stuff like Foreigner and Dire Straits and Toto and and Guns N' Roses and Poison and then all that stuff started coming through as well from my folks because that was all music that they really liked. Okay. Um, and then through, like, you know, Ben introduced me to people like Joe Satriani and Paul Gilbert and Steve Vai that had a massive impact on me. At the same time, I introduced him to people like Rose Tattoo and and stuff that I'd been like, real Aussie sound that I'd really liked. So, yep. yeah, we kind of bounced influences off each other from fairly early then. But, um, yeah, when I got out of high school, probably a few years after, when the band started taking things a bit more seriously, and we kind of went, look, let's let's make a push for this. And, I mean, we got together in 2010. We're talking 2015, 2016 by this stage. Yeah. Um, I'd started to realise that being self-taught is cool, and if you've done it properly, reading the books or whatever it is, sweet. I had not. Yeah. I had sat down and fucked stuff up until I wasn't fucking it up anymore yeah to put it simply yeah um and I went look if I'm it was actually after we recorded the hard way so the first single we did which is one of my favorite of Blaze songs thank that you that I always tell you awesome no I, and I appreciate <laughs> it no but we I mean we released that at the end of 2014 so we're talking only a few months before that we'd been in For the those studio, that don't know, that's the EP uh, No Turning Back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we recorded The Hard Way well before. Okay. So The Hard Way right. was released at the end of 2014, like December 2014, I yep. think. We didn't release the EP until April 2016. Like oh, ori- okay. Originally, it was just a standalone single to go, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. And then later on, we went, chuck it on the EP. <laughs> Why not? Right. Um, and yeah, so we... Uh, Basically, when I was in the studio, we're at Light Hill Studios with Ricky Ray, um, doing that first single, and I'm kind of sitting there, and I'm, he's a drummer, and he's a phenomenal drummer, and he kept coming in going, I'll try this, or try that. He picked up really quick that I was self-taught and that I wasn't 100% sure of what I was doing. 
So he's giving me these little tips and I kind of thought to myself, all right, I think I'm reaching a point right now where if I want to continue to advance my, I guess, my skill, but also like, you know, expand my game as a drummer, I'm going to need to actually go and see someone who actually teaches and see if I can at least get some, you, you know, at least, you know, off the side kind of lessons um, and just try and expand what I'm doing here because I'm building a wall, but there's bricks missing from down the bottom. Sure. You know, the foundation was Yeah, I haven't done that work down the bottom. I've just jumped straight into teaching myself beats and stuff. And so, yeah, I could do some kind of middle-level skill-wise drum beats in some of the songs, but I couldn't do a flam properly. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like because right, I never really looked at it sure, or the proper yeah. ways to do a rim shot and stuff like that. So I go, look, I'm going to do this. And one, the, the drummer from our singer Danny's other band at the time moments apart um, they he's a phenomenal drummer by the name of Luciano Alvaro and he does lessons and I said hey dude look I'm just looking for like an informal thing where I can you know help me to fill in some of these gaps and he said yeah dude we'll definitely do that and so I started going down there and it's been a few years and just go down and look through some kind of advanced stuff expanded my creativity with drum fills um, some of my groove stuff, my double kicking ability, all that kind of stuff that I really didn't know how to approach myself. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everything started lining up a bit better because I didn't want to... Originally, I like saying I'm self-taught. Yeah. And I think a lot of self-taught musicians like saying that they're self-taught. But the other thing that I didn't want to do was limit how good I could potentially be sure. or the level that I could be playing at for the sake of being proud of saying that I'm self-taught. The trade-off wasn't worth it. No, I'd, ra- I'd rather be able to do the shit that my heroes could do. Of course. Yeah. Than be stuck at a, tools, at, a beginner, yeah. at a beginner level because yeah. I was too proud to say I need help. So, 100%. yeah, and yeah, that's kind of where that all came from. And that's where you really started diving into the craft of drumming mm. more like as its own standalone thing to yeah, give you the tools that you could use for your music. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because all the little grooves and all the little ideas that I've looked at, little exercises and little drum fill patterns and stuff like that, it just spurred on ideas. And Luch has said to me, like he's listened to songs and gone, this fill at this point, I know where you've been inspired from. And that was when we did this. I'm like, yeah, like that, the way that felt. He's like, it's not the same fill, but yeah, yeah. that I can totally hear it. He's yeah. like, I'm stoked because it means that it's working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a good thing. It's a yeah. positive thing. That's it. And that's the thing. Sometimes people are embarrassed of um, or ashamed of, you know, showing uh, influences or like licks and things for guitar players and stuff. But really, all those things are just ingredients that build up your style in the end. Which yeah, definitely. You've done and you can hear the groove in certain songs. I was listening to some of Blaze songs before you came here today oh, yeah. just to get juiced up and stuff. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's all good stuff, man. And uh, part of the challenge, I think, with what you're talking about is um, people aren't prepared to put in the time to practice the actual drum, like the boring shit. That's yeah, in, yeah. You know, but really it pays off later. Because it's like um, if you go to run, if you go to play a show, for example, this is a bad analogy, but I'll try to explain it as best I can. Um, play, playing it drums as hard as you played them because you do play them really hard I do, and loud. Yeah. I hit things very hard, yeah. Even Nathan at Drummer's Paradise is like Dan's Yeah, he's still up. scared. Of, yeah. <laughs> he's scared the fuck, man, out of you. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, he's like Dan bashes them and yeah, well, 
what people don't realise is to maintain that for a whole concert takes a certain level of uh, ability and, uh, I don't know, endurance. Yeah, yeah, your chops have got to get better. Your chops have got to be better. So learning the proper techniques and all that enables you to carry that on the whole time. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've watched, like, I've always known that I hit hard. Yeah. And I get into it and I throw my head around and stuff like that. And, you know, my osteopath wants to punch me in the face. <laughs> um, but the, I guess the thing is, is that I've always just felt it and I've done that. But I hadn't, until I watched some videos recently of the way I used to hit stuff. Yeah. Compared to now without even realizing that my technique had improved like just how hard. I had a video come up in my Facebook memories of really early days we're talking maybe 2012 2011 yeah right and a bunch of our mates had come to our practice just to have something to do and we were jamming no turning back and for one we're playing it three times faster than the recording yep. and I was absolutely pounding my 18 inch crash Yeah, because that's what I sit on when I'm in the chorus and stuff like that and I was just sitting there going I wasn't pulling my stick back or anything like that I was plowing straight through it Yeah, and absolutely smashing everything else I'm sitting there going no wonder I broke cymbals as fast as I did yeah. no wonder I went through two drumsticks per practice <laughs> Like, I'm sitting there going, I... And I'm looking down, I'm like, you know what? You were 20. Yeah. Like, yeah. You'd, you'd been playing properly or semi-properly for about 18 months at this stage. Sure. Like, it's funnily enough, you don't hit that hard when you're playing in a church. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's the truth. No, definitely. But uh, I kind of... Yeah, I looked at this video and just went, shit, you did improve. <laughs> you like... It was hard for me to kind of see, but yeah. Now I kind of take a bit more stock and notice the way that I'm doing things. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm still not... Look, I feel like you've got that the two schools of thought on drumming. You've got the play the songs and the the people that go, I've been I've played nothing but rudiments for six years. Sure. And I, I haven't played a proper drum beat in this long because I'm trying to make sure my paradiddles are as even as they can be. <laughs> and you go, well, that's lovely. Yeah. But you're playing a musical instrument yep. and you're not being musical with it. Like yep. you can get your paradiddles as even as you want, but if you can't play with other musicians, I don't fully understand what you're going for. It's, in, it's, in, it's very important to get those techniques and those, you know, tricks up your sleeve so that you can, you know, double hit something with one hand with a bit of evenness. <laughs> but... <clears throat> yeah, like I, I'm, I'm still kind of focused on being able to play the songs and and now I can do it without hurting myself or anybody around me like I used to. And breaking shit all As the time. Still break shit. <laughs> Just not as much maybe? Not as much and I actually, funnily enough, you get what you pay for. So when I was buying secondhand symbols of Gumtree, funnily enough, that only lasts me a couple of months. Whereas now, secondhand symbols. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just absolute trash and beaten up. And I, I it, when you're breaking both hi hats, like on a semi regular basis, the top and bottom. Yeah. I I've never done that. I inverted <laughs> a bottom hi hat as a top. Yeah. Jeez, man. No, it literally popped through from underneath. I don't know what I did. And they were decent hi hats too. 
It was stupid. But nowadays I've got a terrific endorsement with a fantastic brand and I love playing my soul tone cymbals. Yeah. And tell us about that. Like how that started. How did you get hooked into that? I discovered soul tone because I got approached on Facebook by another company, a smaller Australian-based company that was promising uh, Turkish handmade cymbals via Adelaide. Okay. Um, and the deal seemed really weird. Basically, he said, I'm going to give you this much of a discount and blah, blah, blah. You want this, 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 and this because this is the kind of style you, of music you're playing and it's going to cost you $1,100. And I just kind of went, I have never played one of your cymbals before. I love the offer. I love that you're interested. Thank you. I am flattered, but I need to try your cymbals. Have you got an endorsee in Melbourne that I can just go and, and try playing theirs? And he went, oh, well, I mean, there are, but whether they're going to let you play them, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, 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 you're the, the company. I'm the prospective endorsee here. Like, I want to try your stuff before I commit my name to it. Absolutely. And... I said, if I play them and I love them, I'll be the most dedicated motherfucker you've ever seen. Yeah. But I need to try them. And this guy seemed to have this big problem. And I'm looking through his other artists and stuff like that. And they're all going, we love this brand. We love playing this. We love playing that. And he still couldn't like it. So finally, I said, dude, just send me a crash in the post. I will pay for the postage. But... If I don't like it, I'm packaging it back up and returning it. You can cover it and you won't hear from me again. If I like it, I will buy it on the spot and the rest of it. Okay. And he said, okay, well, I can do that. It'll cost you about this much. I said, cool, do that. When it came down to it, he sends me his bank details and the number said $1,100. And I went, are you serious? For the one I said, crash. I said, you, well, no, no, for all of them for again. He's got, them. I said, yeah. what conversation did we just have? So I started getting really frustrated. I said, you know what? I looked up his website for this company. This is not Soltone, by the way. It's a very different <laughs> company. Um, I looked it up. I found stores that had been selling them. Okay. And I rung them. One of them was in Adelaide. Oh, these symbols are fantastic, man. You definitely want to blah, 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 blah. But the thing is, is that this is the, the store that he posted everywhere. So obviously there was a connection there. So I went, okay, let's try some more standalone things. Yeah. If I want to buy something from a drum company, I don't look like up, I don't look up their review. <laughs> no, you'd be. I a look up to. independent reviews. Yes. Um, and yeah, basically, I contacted a drum store in Melbourne that I use often that had never heard of them, and I went, uh oh. And then I contacted a drum store in Sydney that I had been to in Parramatta. Um, a terrific little drum shop that I'd fallen in love with. I walked first time I walked in there, I nearly walked out with a snare. <laughs> right, and given my ability to impulse buy shit, I'm lucky I didn't walk out with a snare. Um, but I rung them and I said, "Look, I've been contacted about an endorsement, and I wanted to get some background on the company from a shop." And they said, "Okay." And I told them the name of the company. Went, "Oh, <laughs> has he been on Facebook again? Has he?" And I went. Oh, no. That's not a good sign. I think I've just dodged a bullet. And he said, now listen. He goes, this symbol, this symbol, this symbol are really good. These ones, they're not. We've still, we sold these ones out in a heartbeat. And this other, you know, I think the, the, you know, something like the crashes were great, but the hi-hats were shit. Or something like, something weird like that. Yeah. And he said, you know, they're still here because they're really not great. He said, try Soul Tone. I said, who? 
And he goes, Soltone are another Turkish. He goes, there's something about this region of Turkey where they've just figured out how to make symbols better than anywhere else in the world. All right. He goes, these are Turkish handmade symbols. They are up there with Bosphorus and Zildjian and Paisti and Sabian, all the other companies that market themselves as Turkish handmade. Yep. Istanbul and stuff like that. And, and it's gone, but the price tag's not on them. He goes, they've got really reasonable priced symbols. And what you want is when everybody's making these symbols in very similar ways from a very similar region, you don't want everything to sound the same. No. The companies that you're the company that you're looking at or that's looking at you, yeah, they're Turkish handmade symbols. Yeah, they've got the quality, but nothing about them stands out from the crowd in any way that would justify how much they charge. Soltone don't have a stupidly expensive price tag on them, but the symbols stand out. They're not like Zildjian. They're not like Pisces, who are not like each other either. They are their own thing. Yeah. And if you like, he goes, just go down to your local shop, buy a crash, try a crash, whatever it is. You get, I think you're going to like that a lot better. This is a, this is someone that had no money to make off selling. And unbiased. This. Yeah, completely unbiased, but also, yeah, just wanted to help, which is why I love this drum store. Um, and <laughs> it's a Tama Fest chair. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of went and I found Drum, Drummer's Paradise had them yep. in Richmond and I went sick. Good shot. I went down and I tried it and went wow and bought two crashes on the spot. Wow. Ended up fixing the rest of it and when it came time to start touring and I was like, okay, well, I can offer these people dates. I can offer these people, you know myself as a working musician who can advertise their brand yep. and when I approach them they jump straight on they're like we want you <clears throat> and were really helpful I was saying you know, I want this 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 is what I've been using and they've gone try this listen to this here's a video of this symbol this is why we think you might prefer the sound and I did and now I've got symbols with my signature on them that I'm absolutely addicted to and absolutely love 24 inch mega bell ride that I can't get over that that's you fucking, tried it, didn't you? I did, and it's fucking unreal, i got to tell you. It's fantastic, and I absolutely love them. And like that now, they are a quality. So I don't have a lot of those problems. I also hit a lot better, which helps. <laughs> but, yeah. So they got, when you went to them um, with the dates, you know, because uh, for those people who think an endorsement's just about, oh, how can I get free shit? It's really, um, how can I advertise your company well? Because yeah. it's a business deal. Definitely. Um, and know, I certainly don't get free stuff. No, no, no. Um, when you went to them with your offer, let's say, and they jumped on, it sounds like they weren't just like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Let's just do it. We'll sign you, whatever. They actually gave you the suggestions and they really wanted to be involved in making you have, have better products on hand to yeah. do a better job. On their website, there was an application. So I filled that out. I told them what symbols I currently used. Yep. Um, which was mostly sold on anyway. And then um, one of their reps from the States got in contact with me via email. I said, dude, we've listened to your music. We've listened. We've watched your music videos. We really like what you guys are doing and what you're about. We definitely want you on board. Um, what here's, here's a price list. Here's the kind of stuff that we're offering. Here's all your little additional, you know, if you want a shirt, if you want your signature on the symbols, all that kind of stuff outlined really really clearly um and then their expectations of me as well which there are yeah of course um and and rightfully so it's a deal it's not a one-way thing yep. 
Um, yeah, basically they went through Tony again. I mean, the guy was saying to me, because he's another drummer, he's another... Well, he's, he's their rep, but he's also therefore an endorsed artist as well. And he was saying, instead of using, you know a 16-inch and an 18-inch crash cymbal in the in the brilliant, you know, the custom brilliant series, which are really bright, shiny cymbals. He's like, you're playing some slightly heavier rock now. Like, try something a little darker. Try the Explosion series in a 17 and a 19, so they're bigger and they're a bit heavier sounding. And he sent me a demo video of the cymbals, and I went, yeah, hang on, definitely. And, I mean, the first band practice I brought them to, I whacked them on a hit one. And everybody else in the room, no one of which is a drummer, yeah. went, there we go, yeah. straight away. When the non-drummers can hear the difference, okay. You know you're onto something. Definitely. Too. And they because those cymbals are bigger and stuff, no one was complaining that they were louder. One of the main things that I loved about uh, the soul tone cymbals that I bought, as well as when I got that Tama big black, bucket of a snare which we'll definitely talk about yes (laughs) um one of the things that i love about them was they were marketed as a guitar killer i play in a very loud band yeah we practice loud we do not you don't turn everything down i don't walk in with a pair of hot rods to to practice it's full on everybody's got their earplugs in um because we want to play the way that we're going to play it on stage. There's no use sitting down and playing everything quietly because then when we get on stage, we're going to shit ourselves. Yep. So we, we play pretty damn hard when we practice. Um, which means I needed cymbals and a snare that could cut through two electric guitars coming out of a Mesa and an Orange. Yeah. Four by 12. Yep. Plus... A bass cab, and I mean, Dave was playing the the cab that Danny happens to leave. I can't even remember what brand it is. Dave's got his own cab that I think is a Gallon Kruger or something like that. But right, um, you know, way way back in the day, our original bassist had a bloody. He had a four by twelve, and then the big fifteen or whatever it was underneath that basically had a oh, fridge, yeah. um, and that was an Ampeg like. Oh, no, Ashdown. So that's a lot of noise in of the room that we practice in, which is not a, a practice studio. It's the it's a, a music room, rumpus room thing at Ben's house. It's oh, not soundproof. Okay. It's not... We've got mattresses up against all the windows because the neighbours kept leaving EPA regulations in the mailbox. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, the room can go from being relatively dead to relatively echoey down to the temperature. Sure. So, um, you know, the floor's mostly floorboards. Like it, it can impact on the sound a lot. So I needed stuff where I... We've got that, I guess, idea of if you want space, make it. Yeah, right. We do it on stage. If you want to be seen, if you want to jump around, make your space. If you want to walk, you better watch where everybody else is bouncing around, but do it. And I'm yeah. sitting down, but I still jump around like an idiot. Sonically, <laughs> it's pretty similar. Like, we're not out competing each other. Yeah. Uh, we're trying not to compete with each other, especially as our writing gets a little bit better. But, um, yeah, we, you've got to be heard. Yep. And Absolutely. when you're in a loud environment, I needed things like soul tones and tama and stuff like that that I knew I was going to make it through. That, that's the whole thing, man. Like 
whatever your job is, you need tools for that job. Mm-hmm. Your job is playing hard rock and a very loud band. Yeah. So you need instruments and devices that are going to cut through and allow you to stand out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Even down to fills and stuff. I needed toms that weren't so boomy that everything was going to get lost, but weren't so dull that any hit was going to lack all, <laughs> I guess, any idea of what I had for it. Yeah. Because when I do little fills and stuff, I, I tend to think a little bit more melodically. And so I needed that to translate. And when you're competing with again, a mess and an orange <laughs> and a fridge um, of a bass you know, set up, I needed to know that I was going to get heard. Yeah. And it, and it works, isn't it? Well, I hope it, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I went and saw you guys not too long ago. Um, I can't remember where it was. Oh, Northcote Social Club. Yeah. That was, a, yeah, the... The big homecoming gig after Europe slash kicking off it. the little run of dates for the Where's My Drink, Welcome Home, Victory Lap. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good show. Um, that was a very fun night. It, <laughs> it looked like you guys had a good time on stage, except for when the symbol... Um, oh, the stand nearly yeah, went. The, yeah, the stand. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, no, that, that drum sound on that night was really good. Everything cut through good and, you know, thanks again for letting me try the stuff out no definitely on the stage because i'd never heard soul tone cymbals before like i heard tama drums obviously i've got it i've got a pair i actually have two of them yeah yeah. three sorry one in new zealand oh nice and two here um but yeah got to have a look at your new beauties that day Mm -hmm. earlier in them uh before the show yeah yeah. give them a tune up and stuff so that was um for those drum nerds that was an slp series Dynamic, Tama Dynamic Kapoor. And it sounds fucking great. I'm in love with it. I couldn't believe the sound of it. Kapoor is obviously not a wood that a lot of people use no. um, for kits. And, you know, I'd heard it was yeah, warm like some woods, but had, you know, pop like others and stuff like that. When I hit it, I went, I get it. Yep. This is what I wanted. I wanted my sand to be warm, but I wanted it to have a bit of punch still. And I think the kit really delivered on that. I think the SLPs... Um, get overlooked a lot because everybody jumps in and wants to buy a Superstar Hyperdrive or something like the big names that they know mm-hmm. and they miss out on this fantastic series of drums that Tom has put out specifically to allow people to find stuff that gives them the sound that they're after a little more specifically without the massive price tag on it. So it's affordable quality. Yeah, definitely. And it, and it sounds and it looks great too. Mm-hmm. Like it's got a really nice finish on it. What's the color? It's like an orangey. Yeah, it's a, it's color. actually it's called Kapoor Burst. So it's basically right. to, it's made and I guess shined up to really bring out the, yeah the the chocolatey kind of light bit bit of a red through it. Yeah. Um, wood and then it bursts to black as you get towards the skins. And it look it looks really good. It sounds even better. Mm. And it goes really well with the. Oh, I don't know, whatever you call it, the bucket, I think. Oh, the bucket. <laughs> the Tama SLP yeah. black steel one Yeah, the big black steel snare, shell. the big eight-inch deep. Yeah, because, I mean, that snare's got its own kit as well that Tama's put out. Yeah. Um, but it was only one rack, one floor time, and I want two and two. Yeah. And I went, yeah, look, I don't know if I... You know, I'd heard some great things about that kit. I was like, nah, look, I want something bigger. I, I like it wood. I don't, I don't know if I want an entire steel kit. Yeah. Um, and when I found that Kapoor, I went, hmm, 
hang on, and then watched a few videos, got the chance to try one, and just went, this is the kit that I need. Was convinced straight away. Oh, yeah, was absolutely blown away and sent it to a few people, said, what do you reckon of this kit? And everybody went, we have never heard of that before, but that's amazing. It's a Tama. Yeah, <laughs> that's Tama. You don't it's need to have heard of it before. No, you need to know that. that. Yeah, they, they do no wrong. And um, last part about equipment and stuff. Um, can you run us through your drumstick as well? Yep, so I'm lucky enough as well to be endorsed by the London Drumstick Company. Um, it's a it's a smaller brand uh, based in London, but with reps in other parts of Europe as well. Um, they're just, they offer customizability unlike any other drumstick endorsement I've ever seen. You can change everything. The length of wood from between, you know, one mil and another mil, you, basically one measurement that you can, to the mil, anything you want in between that. You can customise the, the tip. You can customise, you know, you can get, you know, grip in, you know, like they kind of tailor out the handle and, and give you a bit of extra grip or all these different options, different woods and everything. And I just went, I love this. I'm going to get the opportunity. So what I did was I approached them and said, this is me. I got your contact through, you know, another band that was endorsed and said, this is the kind of music we're playing. We're coming to Europe. I'm really interested in these sticks. And they went, yep, what type of stick are you after? So I gave them the rough, I basically just gave them standard 5B drumsticks. And just went, yeah, this with this kind of a tip. And they yeah, yeah, sure, you know, it's this price, you have to buy 12. And then we'll give you a whole bunch of extras you can sell as merch and stuff like that. Sick. So I tried these sticks out, fell in love. We awesome. played 19 shows in Europe with these drumsticks. And I you used the same pair the whole time. Not the same <laughs> pair. I wish. I still do hit like an idiot. But I realistically, I only broke. Across 19 shows, I'd be lucky if I broke three sticks. Wow. Um, and just went, this is brilliant. Are they hickory? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and I just just absolutely fell in love with them. Yeah. Went, now, next time, I know, because, you know, I'll, I'll probably burn through them writing the album, the next album and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I know I want them a little bit longer. Maybe a bit of a different tip. They'll do full color and everything like that. Like it's got my signature in the band logo and stuff like that. But I could get a full design put on it, stuff like that, making proper mango drumsticks. That's awesome, right? And have my signature exactly the way I want it tailored, and they'll look after me. And I met my rep while I was over there because she was actually the one of the promoters for our gig in uh, Barcelona. Oh, and cool. yeah, she was awesome and just totally happy and willing to. Um, do whatever we had to do to make sure that the drumsticks were exactly what I was looking for. And now that I've played them and absolutely fallen in love with them, I know exactly what I want. And when I go back to them and say, I want to change this this time, they're going to go done. So London Drumstick Company, they're endorsing a lot of drummers in, in the in the new wave of, of classic rock scene over there that we're lucky enough now to be considered, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, that whole movement, which is just amazing. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of drummers that are being endorsed by them. I mean, uh, most recently, uh, Chris Slade, who was oh, the drummer on the Razor's Edge. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on ACDS. Yeah, he's there. So the drummer on one of my favourite ACDS albums, Thunderstruck, probably my favourite song by, by ACDS. Yeah. That drummer is playing the same sticks as me. For those who don't know who that is, it's the bald dude with the yeah. blue singlet. In the when people thought there. Peter Garrett was drumming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like Peter Garrett. Mm. Just doesn't do the dancing. No. 
He gets into it though. He does. He's no, but I loved it. Just that extra creativity and and drum the, the you know the certain little melodic bits in his drumming and all. Yeah. The, Phil Rudd is an absolute institution. Yeah. And will always be ACDC's drummer. But I love the way Chris Slade did stuff. Yeah. And um. Yeah, just the opportunity to be on the same friggin' company endorsement as him. I was like, whoa. I mean, Steve Adler's endorsed by Soltone. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'm just like two of my drumming icons and I'm, you know, I'm endorsed by the same companies. It's really, really cool. That's crazy. It's insane. I think um, Nick Menzer was with Soltone before yep. he died too. Nick Menzer was with Soltone. So there you go. There's a couple of big names and you're a part of that brand, you know, if you could go back and tell yourself 10 years ago that that was going to be happening, yeah, no, what do you I, think you'd say to yourself? I would have gone, but I'm shit. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I would have said. you got to be fucking kidding me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> um, so we're talking about a blaze. Oh, by the way, if you do want to buy some of those drumsticks and any other pieces of merch from a blaze, you can go to www.theblazeband.com and you can find all the stuff there under shop. Self, uh, shameless self-promotion. No, thank you. That's uh, always helpful. <laughs> yeah, no, we've got a lot of merch on sale at the moment. We're doing uh, some cheaper shirts and whatnot, running out the last of the stock um, from the No Chaser album because we're getting ready to do the second one and we've got to do it all again. Oh, so man. All those, we get into that 12 to 18-month period before the fact where everything is a cost and not necessarily coming back to us just yet. So, yeah, sell off all that stuff. I don't still want to be selling... You know, Stuff this, bitch, years ago. this bitch bites t-shirts when we're, <laughs> when we're two, three CDs down the line. Yeah. Like, yeah, just get you know, then there's... And the thing is, is because our online presence has gotten better and because we've taken the time to get on top of our social media and learn the best ways to do it, there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about yeah, of right. ours from our history and stuff like that. Like, one thing we're doing now is we're uploading all our old video clips that we initially just did to YouTube. We're now uploading to... Um, Facebook on the anniversary. So the other the other week on, on the fifteenth of March, we um we uploaded Picky Poison. And there's a lot of people in our fan base that had never seen it. I mean, it's got I think three four thousand views on YouTube, maybe, maybe six. But we got we've got seven thousand two hundred odd, I think, Facebook likes. Yeah. But our last our last three videos, having been done through Facebook and us, you know paying for advertising and marketing it to specific audiences and stuff as opposed to just uploading it, most of them have got 25, 26,000 views. So people are watching those, but they don't know about the three clips that came out beforehand. So getting on top of that stuff as well and introducing people to all this stuff so that when album two comes out, it's you've seen everything now, you've got new stuff. And, and that's because your marketing skills have improved? They have to. Yeah. How, how vital is that to the success of a band? It is the success of a band. Yeah. You can make the best music that has ever been created and if nobody hears it, what's the point? Like you've... Um, when uh, yeah, If you're one of those musicians that, that records all their own music in the dark after 11pm in their basement and only advertises themselves on Melband, that's one thing. But if you're... Um, yes. Which is a sad reality for a well, lot of people. Well, it's the thing is that some people only do it for themselves and there's nothing wrong with that. If Not you create all. because you want to be creative and you don't need anyone else to see that, brilliant. You do that. Go that hard. is awesome. If you want a tour and you want to play your music to people and you want your music to have an effect on people, I love it when music that I've created or been involved in creating 
impact on someone. When someone comes up and says, this song was amazing, this song made me feel like this, this song made me remember this, that to me, that is everything. Yeah. But you have to be able to market it. And in Australia now, you really don't need a label, but you need PR. Right. Australia is an incredibly difficult market. You need PR and stuff over in Europe as well, for as an example, as somewhere that we've recently been. But there are labels over there that can help you with a bunch of stuff. Um, that can help you with your marketing and things like that. In Australia, yeah, there's one or two, no, two or three labels kicking around really for people that are at this level. It's more grassroots kind of level. Sure. Um, but a lot of them, it's come to me with your finished product and we'll, we'll do stuff after that. They're not, it's not like back in the day where they were like, we like what you're about, here's a massive chunk of money, go record us something. Yeah, right. Because the landscape has changed. Yeah, everybody in, all, all of us have all got daytime jobs as well. Um, and we're not living out of something, out of Slash's autobiography. You know, <laughs> like um, it's not how it works. Um you can't tour constantly in Australia as a band at our level. The, the best analogy I've heard from another musician was that in Europe there's a ladder and you work your way up that ladder. Okay. In Australia's music scene, all the middle rungs have been ripped out. Yeah. You're down the bottom or you are one of those heritage acts up the top getting by on the fact that they put out awesome music 30 years ago with very, very few actually breaking through in recent years. Even bands like Airborne, who are absolutely incredible musicians, who are worshipped yeah. in other countries and on other continents, in Australia are still getting bugger or airtime. The best you get with Airborne is people go, oh, I think I've heard of them before. Yeah. I think you've heard of them. They've toured with everybody. Yeah. They play huge festival lineups overseas with dozens and dozens of bands, and they're up in the logo space at the top. They've got, what, six albums? Yeah. Like some huge, they've done it. They just did another one, like recently, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're um, yeah. Like I just saw them tour with Alice Cooper. They were phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but in Australia, you don't get that. Whereas, so you know, marketing yourself and getting your PR through some of the companies that will offer PR to, you know, not international touring heritage bands, but people that are a bit further down the line is incredibly helpful because getting a review in a you know respected or semi-respected online publication is really hard to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. I would love for our album to get reviewed in Rolling Stone or something. But you know we we got it you know getting the PR stuff gets us you know attention from the music or Wall of Sound who gave us one of the best reviews we've ever gotten that we used for all our PR stuff after that. That kind of stuff where you can say, this is what people have said about us, then helps you market further. Yeah, absolutely. So you need the good marketing to get better marketing. And you've got to get that first break, yeah, right? Yeah, you've got to have in mind the business side of things. It's one thing to go and practice and get your songs brilliant. And it's for me, it's always about the live performance. I love getting on stage and playing. And it's always what's going to be at the heart of it. But if you want to keep doing that without forking out every dollar you've got, and we are certainly not in the green on this stuff. We're still putting in cash, (laughs) but some of it coming back and helping us is the reason why we can do some of the things that we've done. It is vital to, to get your marketing, to understand the basics of social media, 
uh, Matty Dynan, our rhythm guitarist, he went and did a whole bunch of reading on Facebook ads and lookalike audiences and all this kind of stuff. And since he started advertising, our social media presence has exploded. Right. Understanding what you have to do to get your engagements up and stuff like that. You will get labels that'll look at your social media and they'll definitely ask how many likes you got. People go, they don't care about likes. They fucking do. But (laughs) if a band has got 50,000 likes on Facebook and each one of their posts get a comment and three likes, they go, fuck that, they've bought their likes. If you've got 5,000 likes on Facebook but your engagement's off the charts, that makes you a lot more marketable to them. Right. The Facebook algorithm changes all the time. But basically the rules of it are is keep your content uh, consistent. Do different things. Don't just upload a photo every day. Understand that up, you know, sharing an event is not going to get the same reach as uploading a video um, and stuff like that. Right. Sitting down with someone in, in social media and, and who does music, online marketing and stuff. We sat down um, with uh, Monica Strutt who does her whole own, you know, media and marketing stuff and she offers courses and sit-downs with bands and she's got her own Facebook group where she does a lot of these little talks and stuff. Sitting down with her a few times was absolutely eye-opening because for us it wasn't what do we do. She said to us, your social media is good. You guys are consistent. You upload different things. You do this and the other. What is it that you want? We talked about what we wanted and then she helped shape our effort into not just throwing everything in every direction but targeting what we were doing and being more effective and it worked. Right. Mon absolutely opened our eyes to a whole bunch of shit that a lot of bands need and sitting down with someone like Monica is... For any band that goes, we want a tour, we want to have multiple releases, we want to make a name in any way, shape or form, sitting down with someone like Monica is necessary yeah. you need to sit down with someone that can go this is what you want this is one of the ways this is a whole bunch of ways that you can help achieve that right yeah we and we owe her a significant debt of gratitude for helping us with that so that uh knowledge and advice that she gave you is mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's uh yeah it's a, incredible stuff to have and yeah. to because you can use it as many times as you want for the future as yeah. well and she's a muser She's, oh, not she just, is. she's just not a social... She's in. She's the singer in a band or the vocalist in a band called The Last Martyr. Okay. And back when she lived in Sydney, she was in a band that did quite well called the, uh, Vanity Riots. Like, they, she's a muso. She's done this stuff. She's done the hard yards in a lot of that kind of thing. And she understands it. And she's seen what works. Yeah. As well as having worked in marketing, PR kind of things. So, yeah. um, and forgive me, Mon, if I got any of that wrong. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just... That kind of role, that kind of insight, just like a good sound engineer and producer while you're recording is going to be able to show you, you know, try this, try that. Mm-hmm. Just as a, if you take on a band manager, which again isn't too common in um, up and coming bands, but is still present, should be able to go, oh, I know this person, I can talk to this person, you should try doing this. Someone in that position gives you the opportunity to tell you how you present yourselves. And anybody who says that doing this kind of music, a significant chunk of it is is image, is bullshitting. Skills. Yeah. You have to be able to show who you are in the best possible way. Yep. Authenticity as well. 
is incredibly invaluable. Exactly right. Yeah, it's a huge part that a lot of people think they have to live up to something or put on a facade. You can't maintain that shit anyway. And, you know, you see how far you get doing it. You're going to get tired. That's it. And Ablaze, we've never been a band, even when we were little idiots jumping around that rumpus room, (laughs) fucking up covers. With your mattresses. That's it. Like, we didn't, like, we never thought of ourselves. We were never going to be the band that stands really still up the front, all rigid, looking down and trying to look cool and look at me. Fuck off. We're idiots. (laughs) We jump around. We've thrown half full cans of Red Bull at the back of Danny's head during gigs just because he said something to piss me off. Like, we, we have fun. We want people. We are a rock band singing songs about partying girls. It's not all, you know, we've got serious stuff. We take, what well, you know, the music and the stuff quite seriously, but ourselves, not so much. Yeah. So we have a lot of fun. What's the point of showing, you know, 15 photos of us at the Dog of the Tucker Box, <laughs> right, <laughs> doing, doing ridiculous things? Yeah. Or, you know, throwing shit at whoever fell asleep in the back of the van and then getting on stage and being like, look how cool we are. That's (laughs) not authentic. Doesn't really work together, does it? No, we're fun. We want people to laugh. We want (laughs) people to get involved. It's not we're on the stage, you're down there, it's us versus you. No, it's come here, have a drink. Yeah. Let's have some fun. Let's sing some choruses. Like a big party. Yeah. Yeah. Even when we do the softer songs or the, the, the moodier songs or, you know, the odd occasion where I get to sit down with the acoustic and play... You know, that, that it's a very different mood. Yeah. But it's still all about one big group of people sharing something together. And that's, we had to show, how do we show people we're not doing it? When we started, me and Ben both had side fringes. Everybody thought we were screamo. <laughs> Dead set. Yeah. Everybody right. thought we were a screamo band. Okay. Um, Swept over and everything? Oh, yeah. I had the big oh. spikes at the back. And, <laughs> yeah. Idiot. Yeah, right. <laughs> and all those photos and stuff have been coming up recently since we, since I uploaded Pick Your Poison because that's what my hair looked like in that film clip. The emo style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ben was the proper emo. I was, I was I was dancing between that and the full wog muzzer. Yeah, right. Haircut, as, <laughs> as, as my uh, Italian heritage shone through. Um, but, yeah, like being able to... I don't know what that came down to is people didn't know what we sounded like. Yep. And then when the hard way came out, People's first reaction was, that's not what we thought you were going to sound like. Yeah, a bit. One of the funniest is, oh, <laughs> the most common and slightly insulting reaction we got when that song came out was, I really liked that. <laughs> you go, why are you saying that like you didn't think you were going to? Because people that we were marketing it to were all rock and roll fans. And yep. then we looked <laughs> like we weren't. No, you looked hard. Yeah, we, we, we looked like we were going to get up and like, and that's not what happened. So, yeah, we, it's all adjusted a little bit now and yeah. it's certainly not put on or faked or anything. We just sunk into what we felt was right and then figured out the best way to market that. Yep. And again, absolutely vital. And that combination of, and the knowledge of making those two things coexist together yeah. is the trick and the Big key. Time. Figuring out how to be authentic in what you're doing and what you want and then figuring out how to show that in a way that people could be receptive to. Um, is Look, I'm by no means an expert in any of this stuff, but from what we've done and what's worked and what hasn't, that's what you got to do. When you're targeting Aussies especially, Aussies want real. Any fake shit, you will get, regardless of whether people like it or not, you will get called on it straight away. Yep. And people will go, and you know, Australia's got a bit of tall poppy as well. The second does, that people yeah. start 
sticking their head out a bit, everybody cuts it back down. So if you can go, no, this is us, fuck you. Yep. Then everyone goes, oh, okay. Yeah. You stand your ground, you stand by who you are, what you believe in. Yep. You get instantly Australians do respect that. They, um, yeah, they can be hard to please, but if you please Mm. them, then I find sometimes they're quite loyal. Um, but yeah, sometimes people test you and prod you a little bit and see, is this the real deal? Is this really what it is? Yeah. And it differs between the scenes around Australia as well. Like we go to Adelaide and you know, Adelaide's great. Adelaide's fantastic. You might not always get the same size crowds as you will in Sydney or Melbourne, but the people rock up. They love, there's a couple of people that come to every gig we play in Adelaide. Some of them have even come across to Melbourne to see us play just because we were playing. And they know every bloody word. They own most of our merch. They're involved in our social media and they comment on something because they know it helps. Yep. That kind of loyalty. And the thing is, is that it's not like we go, oh, thanks, you know, we deserve that because we're the band. Fuck no, we drink with them. Yeah. We hang out, we talk shit, we know them. Yeah. They're friends now. That's what we want. Yeah. It's awesome. And whenever we go to Adelaide, we know, and the venues that we play at know too because they're like, yep, the boys are coming back. What do you need? Straight away. It's never like, this is what you're getting given. Yeah. What do you need? We know what you do. We know what you're about. How's this? Cool. Let's do that. We'll organise the bands. Let's go. And it's done. And it's done. It's <laughs> so good. Organising your gigs in Adelaide for us, you know, with the venues we play and stuff like that, it's usually one of the most stress-free parts of planning a tour. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And because you're the one who organises most of that stuff. No, I, do, I do a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, like being, a, um, I guess, band... Not a band manager, but a, a booking agent. Yeah, we all, we've all got different yeah. jobs that we take on. When it comes to booking shows and stuff like that, myself and Danny have definitely done more of it. Um, but, I mean, Donnan takes care of most of the marketing stuff. Uh, and Dave's helped with a lot of that stuff as well. And then uh, Ben does a lot of the merch and a lot of the kind of running up budgets and stuff like that as well. Um, handles a lot of the money side of things just because it's just easier having one person go, oh, I have this, 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 and this. What do we reckon? We all look through it and go, that looks good. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the bookings and stuff like that, yeah, I, I handle a lot of that stuff and, and, and Danny handles a chunk of it too. Um, just because it's easier. When you're talking to the same people, may as well be the one person in contact all the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, we all share everything around as best we can. Sure. And yeah. is that something, like those roles that you just described for each uh, band member, is that something you guys gravitated towards naturally or did you sort of outline and define roles and say, okay, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that? No, no, we, we, do you, you know, right in the first instance, we did kind of gravitate towards that. When it came to contacting bands and contacting people and sending emails and stuff, writing stuff up, that was all stuff that I was good at and I was... Um, happy to do I don't mind sticking my head out messages and they go hey dude I'm from a blaze where this band from Melbourne blah 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 blah." whereas other people might feel a bit self-conscious sure Um, what if they say no yeah yeah that kind of stuff (laughs) so I I just no I can do that whereas um, because the merch lives at Ben's house and because all the equipment and stuff lives at Ben's house when it came to dealing with the money and the stock take and stuff like that made a lot of sense for Ben to be the one doing it Mm -hmm. when it came to planning the Europe tour um, a lot of the organisational stuff did fall on Ben because he was in contact with the tour manager over in uh, in Europe far after than us because Ben's always got 30 questions right about everything which then he go do you guys have any questions before I shoot him an email no we know what's going on but he did and he'd send it off and he found out lots of things that we probably should have asked 
But um, so he naturally fell into that kind of role there. Um, Dynan loves numbers, loves codes and figuring stuff out. Like Dynan built our whole website. Right. He couldn't build a website when he started. It took him a long time, but he figured it out, worked out the bugs, and now we've got a website that we have complete control over everything because he's literally coded it from the domain name up. Right. Um, and yeah, so we've all got. Danny has a history with with booking. And used to um, have a, a page called Rock Demon Promotions where he set up gigs and did a whole bunch of that kind of stuff way, way back. Yeah. Because, okay. I mean, he's been in Kistroya since like... A long time. Fucking the 30s. I don't know. I don't know but like, <laughs> um, no, it would be the early 2000s yeah. quite easily. They've been going for at least 18 years. So, um, and he was involved in other bands. Um, so he has that, a lot of that experience. And he, when we first met him, we didn't know anybody. This is the first band any of us had ever been in. Whereas Danny had experience, he knew people. Yeah. And now we know those people. Um, and now we're, where we're at now, none of us have been there before. So we're all it's growing together. Territory. Yeah, that's it. We're all growing together. And it, and it's interesting that you just said this is your like the only band you've been in. How does it feel being like, you know, not not having the experience of being, I guess, a band whore, you know, mm. um, doing, getting it, I guess right if you want to call it that the first time and then going through to see your first band go from a high school band to a proper working band it's interesting um i must admit i am probably one of the only drummers i know that is only in one band yeah like right. drummers in melbourne at the moment are a little bit of a precious commodity yeah um, as people tell us like i, I wouldn't know i'm <laughs> I, oh, am the, I am the drum it's dry but, out there yeah Drummers and bassists. But, um, yeah, basically... It's like trying to get laid during this whole coronavirus thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nothing inside, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's... Uh, yeah, uh, it's... I guess the thing is, we do this... I mean, our songwriting kind of works in the same way. We don't tend to throw songs out. Okay. I mean, through the... Yes, there's songs that we no longer play... Or, but when it comes down to over the very close to 10 years that we've been a band, the amount of songs that we've gotten halfway through and gone, you know what, this isn't working, I can think of two. One during the album, one before Danny even joined the band. When it came to the album, we wrote 12 songs. We wrote... We had one in the beginning when we probably only had four or five. We had another one coming through and we were getting to the point of putting lyrics to it and just went, something missing in this. Let's bench it for a while because we couldn't think. We will listen to a song and go, this doesn't sound right. And then we'll try a million things. And we'll do that with all our songs. If we dropped a song every time we had a minor, a semi-major problem with it, we wouldn't have any music. Yeah. We argue about all of our songs. Right now. This works, this doesn't work. Why are you playing that? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we, we work out all those kinks mm-hmm. so that when we do put a song out nowadays, it's the best possible version we can, at the time, come up with for that song. Um, and I guess the band, in a lot of ways, the same. Things get hard. We don't just go, fuck it, bail. Like, we go, okay, what do we need to do here? And work to find a solution. Yeah, right now we're supposed to be writing a second album. We're not allowed to be in the same room as each other, technically. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. So we work out the kinks and we keep going. Nothing stopping you, huh? It's as much a mindset thing as you make it 
Yeah, definitely. You, like you, you give up or you don't. And we sit yeah. there and go, this is where we're at. This is all the effort we've put in. These are all the things that we've done. This is the stuff that we want to do and this is stuff that we can achieve. We just have to work out this kink, whatever it happens to be, and keep going. Yep. And that's what we've done. I love it. And that attitude and that outlook, is it's uh, something that, like I know we both know a lot of people in bands and um, there's a lot of band bullshit politics and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. That's just part of being in a band. 100%. Um, you know, but sometimes that makes and breaks a band and the fact that you guys can, you know, I think it's healthy to be able to, you know, if someone's pissing you off or whatever or you don't agree, have the argument, have the fight, but it's all about, you know, pushing through and coming out the other side and carrying on. And um, that's something some people, uh, some bands, my old band uh, <laughs> included, we're not able to do, um, but... Those that can, like you just said with songs and stuff, if not everyone's going to like the same thing. That's boring if they do. Yeah. The the great part is when you get the ingredients of everyone together and everyone uh, solves things in a different way. So when you get to an obstacle, maybe someone else's idea gets you past it and in a way you never thought, you know. Yeah, and 100%. And the thing is with The Blaze is we are five different people putting in five different sets of ingredients. We have very different tastes. There is overlap between all five of us. But I guess the thing is, is that we've known from the beginning that having five different opinions on something doesn't mean that it's four people that aren't going to agree with me. It means there's five ways of looking at this. Look at it from all five. And somewhere in the middle, there's something where most people are going to, even if they're not stoked, will be in agreement that it's the best option. Yes. And look, the other thing too is maybe it's a case of we haven't found something <laughs> to cause one of us to fucking split it and bail. But um, look, we, we, we work out the kinks. Yep. We scream and yell. There's two and a half Italians in this band. Uh, yeah, There's that, yelling. That's a fight. There's yelling. <laughs> and Dinan <laughs> and Dave figured out pretty early on that, yeah, no, we've got to get involved in this. Got to say something sometimes, mm. huh? Speak up. The wogs are going to keep yelling, so... <laughs> Um, it sort of leads me into the next thing that I want to ask you about, which is um, you're talking in, uh, talking about and mentioning that you're writing or doing your next album. Mm. So I guess my question, I'm just going to ask it straight up. I'm not going to roll into it. Mm. For you personally, and I know from having spoken to you about this and uh, knowing you for a while, you're one of the prominent songwriters in a blaze i think it's safe to say yeah you know, I, I have a lot of ideas there's a lot of <laughs> ideas yeah. um when you're a songwriter when you're writing a song what how do you know if a song is worth keeping even though you don't throw things away let's mm. just say instead of putting it on the back burner yeah, yeah how do you know if a song's really worth pursuing if it's gonna uh succeed let's say cut through and make an impact and also what um what's your band's approach to songwriting what is your view on song craft um when it comes to well i'll answer the second part first but the when it comes to putting the songs together in the way that we do it we're open to trying everything sometimes and everybody does it differently too, I should say as well. Danny's come up with guitar riffs. Dinan's come up with lyrics. 
We, we, we bounce stuff off each other constantly. Um, there are songs where we come up with a cool riff while we're jamming together. Like This Bitch Bites was a, was a jam. We were kind of jamming some ideas and it all started coming together. We had this verse idea and we go, this is going, this is cool. And then we're like, what's the chorus going to be? And we're like, you know what? Let's write the lyrics and then base the chorus, like the riff off that to supplement what we're singing or yelling or whatever it was, sure. which worked. We'd never done that before. We'd right. never done it again. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, it just hasn't yeah. worked. I might have a guitar riff on my phone that I put to Ben and he goes, oh, I'll try this. Or even sometimes when there's been accidents, Dynan wrote a really uh, power metal. He comes, he really loves his power and thrash kind of stuff. He wrote this real power metal riff, this single note. And I was sitting there going, this is sick. And he tries to teach it to Ben. Ben didn't listen. And he goes, oh, was it this? As I was playing this folky Celtic sound, and we went, no, but keep playing that. <laughs> and we wrote No Turning Back. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah, just anything. Sometimes there's been songs where I've come in with the whole song yeah. and gone, here's the riffs, here's the lyrics, this is what I've got an idea for, let's try. And then we do that, and then over the course of that, Dave might say, hey, look, this, this section here is a bit same-ish. What if we drop this a bit or try that? And, and gets involved dynamically. Or I may, might live a space where I go, I'd love a little guitar fill thing here, but I cannot write anything. You know, where's my drink, for example? I can't write some two-part harmony thing down towards, you know, the bottom before we start going back into the, the chorus in, in the song. And Ben and Don, ben and Don go, okay, let, let's try this and, and figure something out together where they harmonise each other. I go, yeah, that's sick. Um, sometimes it's just a set of lyrics and we start trying to come up with some chords or... You know, Dynan tends to come up with one or two really good riffs for every block of writing that we do. He might, you know, he's not going to come up with a million and we pick, or he might not have a whole bunch of little ideas or a couple, you know, a few big ideas. He's got that one or two that he just works on and tries everything until he gets exactly what he wants and then he puts it to us and we go, holy shit. Yeah. Um, one of our really old songs, Natasha, was Dynan doing that. I don't know that song. You probably, you would have a long time ago. We haven't played Natasha in a long time. It was on, it was on that twos up, two song, two disc thing that we... Oh, old school. was on that, yeah. And then, um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Bad Tattoo. Okay. Off the album, that main riff his one. was Dynan. And he came with that. We went, yeah. And I said, hang on, I've got a riff that might fit with the verse. And started playing that. And that's where Bad Tattoo came from. Yeah, right. We try a million different things. When it comes to what makes us go, this song stands on its own, we know from probably half to three quarters of the way through the writing process. We might not always know how it's going to go down with the crowd. Yeah. We've always been very focused on making sure that it's stuff that people can relate to and stuff that people can sing along to in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, when we were writing, I remember the first time Ben showed us the riff to Just a Taste, I went... This is pretty cool. We can do something with this. And I had, that's why I said, why don't we try something like this in the chorus and add something really open? And I already had lyrics that fitted what we were thinking about it being a real kind of fuck you song. Yeah. Um, and then, and Danny looked at those lyrics and made a whole bunch. He goes, oh, I think maybe this would work or maybe maybe a few less words. I write really wordy sometimes. So Danny goes, no, 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 I've got to breathe at some point, dude. And, um, <laughs> and 
I kind of went, I was in the shower where I've <laughs> come up with a lot of musical ideas actually. And I just had this, that, whoa, oh, oh, oh. I went, fuck, hang on. And when we had that and we came together, we went, hmm, okay, this could end up being the first single. And when we were getting towards the end of the writing process and the recording, it was going to be out of that and back for more. Okay. As what was going to be our first single because back from we all kind of agreed that we haven't released anything major or any you know big releases since I mean this bitch bites was released at the beginning of 2017 yeah um the EP was 2016 like this is us we're back this is the big one this is the album this is where we make a push this is where we tour overseas our first single off this better punch people in the dick yeah and when we got to the end of that writing and we listened we're like it's just a taste it's definitely just a taste. Back for More is going to be a fantastic way to open the album and punch people in. You know, they get in, sit down, shut up and hold on tight. That's how you start a rock album. Yeah. But Just a Taste was always going to be the first single. Even when we wrote Long Way Home, which we wrote together. Ben had part of the riff, but on one of our writing trips down the Great Ocean Road where we sat down and um, started riffing these ideas and Danny went away and wrote these amazing lyrics and came back we're like, so you've written... Because it was based off the fact I had written down... I, I Sometimes I've, I've written songs just off the title. And I had a list of titles in the back of my, my lyric book and one of them said Long Way Home. And he goes, I like that. And he took it and he came back and he's, he's written this song. And I don't know if he's going to tell me off for telling this story, but fucking... Um, <laughs> basically... Tell it. Um, he wrote the lyrics and we went, these are really cool lyrics. But listen to the music... He's like, okay, and we're playing it through. And I had the acoustic guitar in my hand, we're playing the chords, and we're like, do these chords and things, does it sound positive or does it sound sad? And he's like, oh, it doesn't sound sad. I'm like, you've written very sad lyrics. Like, we're out on the road, we miss the people we love, why was me? Turn it around. Say exactly the same thing, but, you know, I'm out, I'm touring, but I can't wait to come back and see the people I love. He went, okay, he went back and just literally moved a few words around and that's Long Way Home. Wow. Like. What started as melancholic lyric? Yeah, ended up- it's quite melancholic and he's twisted around and he's gone, yeah, these are, these are, is this what you're looking for? We thought, we, dude, sing that with the melodic ideas that we had and that he had over what we're playing and just bang. And all we needed really to put together was the, the pre-chorus, which we actually wrote as a group. Yeah. And I kind of said, what happens if like I share some of them and then I can go off in like a harmony as you sing that last line? And Danny went, yes, let's do that. That's different. Yeah. And we did it and everybody went, hmm. It's yes. working. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sort of shit that when it happens, you go, this is what I love about the songwriting process. You know, everyone's feeding off of each other and like things are turning out organically. And then when you have that feeling after you've written a song, that you're like, I came here today, didn't know what I was going to write, ended up with that, and now I'm so glad I wrote it. So now yeah. some other dickhead can't write it. You know, Def- that's definitely. mine. That's it. And um, I remember doing the little interview things that we did for the Ablaze TV web series thing that we did. I was interviewing Dine, and while we were down at that beach house on the Great Ocean Road, literally writing the album at the time, and it was the day that we'd written the bulk of Long Way Home and he's um, sitting in front of me and I've got the phone set up and I'm filming him answering all the questions we needed to do and I asked him about the, the songwriting process you know for that episode sure. and, he, and he answered everything and then we got to the end and he just kind of said 
he said, yeah, like, he goes, I'm, I'm quite keen to see how the rest of this album is going to turn out. Because at this stage, we had a rough idea of probably eight songs out of what became 11 and then at the last minute, 12. Um, and I remember looking at him going, dude, if we write a couple more songs like that one we wrote today, like we knew straight away with the harmony ideas in the chorus and the, the lyrics and even the chord progressions in some parts. The guy, that uh, Jack the Bear, who mastered the album, when he heard the, the bridge to Long Way Home, started crying. And we were just like, this is fucking like six foot five Greek dude with tattoos all over his body with tears in his eyes. What do we do? <laughs> Shit. And, and he just turned around and he goes, you guys have just brought back memories of when I was a teenager discovering music for the first time just yeah. from what you just played. He just said, thank you for that. Yeah. I'm so appreciative of bands like you that bring that out. And we just went. We rang our manager at the time and said, dude, we made him cry. We don't know what to do. <laughs> but it was a huge compliment. And it was it was that again. Like yeah. we knew with some of the the way that we felt. Because we're still all music fans. When yeah. we listen to it and we just disregard for a second that this is us, listen to the song, we can go, as a fan, I wouldn't like that necessarily. We write the music for us and it's stuff that we're writing, but we can also kind of sit back and go, yeah, that that there, that that pulls the harshings or that makes you go, ooh, or whatever it is. And that, those moments, that's what yeah. grabs people. Yeah. And what's that feeling like for you when uh, someone like that has a, has a reaction that's so uh, dramatic and impacting? What what runs through your mind about what you've just done? When we've re- when someone has that kind of... Yes. That's, for me, that's the, the epitome of it. Yeah. When I can... Not even necessarily evoke the emotion that it that I felt, but make them feel something themselves, draw their own conclusions from it, have what is essentially our you know piece of art, make them stop and go, ooh, and feel something. Yeah, like that's what it's there for. It's music. It's designed to evoke emotion and thought. And if that emotion and thought is Let's drink and party. Cool. <laughs> if it's deeper, yeah, that's yeah, that's for me. That's that's striking goal. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Music. The thing about it is, and I've said this to a few people. The thing that amazes me is, you start with nothing, literally thin air, mm. nothing, and you make something out of nothing. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. I could not agree with forever. you more. Yeah, and I've, I, I had it hit me the other day. And it's, it's something that's hit me multiple times um, and then kind of goes away and then comes back where I think to myself, you know, once upon a time, no turning back and long way home and just the taste and bottom of my bottle and all these tracks didn't exist and we, me and my friends sat down and we worked together and we argued and we sculpted and we formed and we came up with this thing. It's now a thing. Yeah. It's a thing that evokes emotion and, and happiness or sadness or enjoyment or love or whatever it is in people. Yeah. When you're sitting in a, when you're playing on a stage that's, you know, half the size of the room that we're in right now and the drum kit takes up a third of it <laughs> and you've got four other people on the stage with amps and shit yeah. in the mountains in northwestern Spain in winter and you've driven through an hour's worth of snow to get to the bar and the bar's got 
200 people in it, none of whom speak English, all of them know every fucking lyric, and you're sitting there watching these people sing your songs back at you going, holy shit. This is, this is hit, people. That's got to be an incredible feeling. Magic. Especially on the other side of the world with people who you've never met. You've yep. bypassed, the, you've gone through the phase where, oh, it's my friends. I, I break shows into three phases. Mm. There's the, it's only your friends or mm. family or whatever. Then it's half and half. Mm. And then it's mostly people you don't know. And that's the exciting part when you start getting to that point. Yeah. To be on the other side of the world in the situation you just explained with people singing songs that you wrote about something that happened to you or whatever. And for them, either they get that meaning or it means something to them and they can relate to it. That's incredible. It's, it is why it's one of the reasons we do what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more seeing people sing song lyrics that you wrote um and i don't know if you've ever thought this but sometimes it's weird because you go oh i could have maybe if i wrote something else they could be saying that right now you know like yeah yeah saying what i wrote and you know definitely so maybe i should have written something you know else (laughs) 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 who knows (laughs) um so with the recording and stuff um Obviously, you said you live for the live music. You know, some people like recording better, being behind the scenes. Um, first of all, do you hate recording or do you dread it? The actual recording of the drums and the stuff? Or do you feel any pressure to outdo yourself um, based off of No Chaser and stuff like that? I feel that there's always pressure to some degree. I certainly don't dread recording. I really do like the process. Um I I guess for me with you know the way that we recorded No Chaser and stuff like that I basically we gave me five days for drum tracking for drum tracking for 11 songs that I had to drum on and we did it when you take into account it takes half a day to set that kit up and all the the microphones and stuff make sure everything's tuned up and you've got to quickly check everything especially when you've got wooden kits yeah. Um, in a big airy room in... In summer? Know, Norton. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, no, actually. Uh, no turning back was. Yeah. That was like That's November, shit, right. December. That was some of the days with 35 in the shade. And we were in Riddles Creek, which is north of Melbourne. Right? <laughs> it's like half an hour north of the airport. Oh, and geez. halfway up a hill. Um, but the... The album, we started, the first two weeks of that were in February. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the rest was later on. Right. March, April-ish. Um, and then, yeah, so like recording the drum. The thing that I, the most pressure I put on myself during the recording is that every take is 110%. Yeah. Because the thing that I think with music is that, and, and I'll use this song again as an example. When they recorded Highway to Hell, that's that take of Highway to Hell. Yeah. Yeah, they can twist things. They could cut the tape up. They could put the best fill or piece the guitar solo together, whatever it was. But for the most part, they're not taking a chunk from one and a chunk from three and a chunk from five and a chunk from two and putting them all together. They're taking the best damn take and then making their alterations from there. Yeah. 
which means every fucking take has to be on point. You better, if that is the version that people are going to hear for the rest of existence, yep. you don't want to be sitting there going, oh, shit, I wish I'd done that filler. <laughs> right? Or are we, and the thing is, is, yeah, I'm going to stuff up fills. You can cut those out. But the, I hit everything like I am performing at the MCG yep. to a full house. Yeah. Because every hit, every crash symbol, every hi-hat, everything has to be purveying how I want this to feel because once it's locked into the track, that's how it's going to sound. That's how it's going to feel. You can't undo it. You can't go, oh, there's a couple of takes where I was a bit better, but towards the end, you know, we just played the beat. You can hear. Yeah. If it's angry, I mean, I had bruises on my toes after we recorded Back For More because I did, you know... 10, Stamping the yeah, pedal. 10, 11, just bashing that pedal as hard as I could. And, yeah. and I had to record Just A Taste straight afterwards, which was a dumb idea. <laughs> Lots but, of ice on your feet. Oh, nearly. Hurt driving home. Yeah, a bit. Um, but yeah, and I guess there's additional pressure now because we're coming into album number two. Yeah. Which is the big dangerous one. That if you do everything exactly the same, people think you're a one-trick pony. If you do something completely different, people think you've changed. Mm-hmm. We're kind of lucky in the sense that we write pretty varied. We show a lot of variation and it always comes up sounding like a blaze. We can write a Celtic tune or a ballad or an acoustic song or something in drop D that's heavier and angrier or anything like that, which can be stylistically quite different and it always ends up sounding like a blaze. Yeah. So we can stretch in different directions and we've always been really, really proud of that. Um... So hopefully that buys us a couple of extra tickets on this new album and being able to write slightly different stuff or, or, you know, expand on our writing without people going, this is exactly the same or this is completely different. Yeah. And there's pressure. The album number two is... You're feeling The it? one that scares everybody. So. The sophomore album's always, um, you know, for those very reasons and something that, um, for me personally... I, you know, I like buying a band's album because I know what that band's sound is. Mm. So I want satisfaction of that. Like yeah. if, if I want a hot dog or a donut, I go get a donut because that's what I'm craving. Like mm. if I want to listen to a Blaze, I know, okay, it's got the sound. I'm going to listen to that. So when bands do shit, that's completely nothing like what they did before. It's good. To, you can branch into that. You know, and make introductions or do something that's like a Venn diagram, you know, linking. But when it's like, hey, we sound like this, oh, okay, we're going to go do jazz or some shit. Not that anyone would do that. Yeah. You know, um, like, (laughs) don't laugh. No, I know. But there was a Nickelback album that was like, they had a very hard rock sound. Yeah. And then they did an album with fucking trumpets and rappers on it. I was like, what the fuck is this? You know? Yeah, shit. Well, that's the thing. It's all right to do a concept album or explore a new idea or something like Absolutely. that. But shit, you got to be ready for what's going to come next. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, just don't pull some random stuff out of nowhere and go, oh, how about this? And slap it on. Yeah, yeah. You know? The band and the sound and everything is a product and part of its image. And if you yeah. go and throw something completely from left field, you are going to alienate fan base that's necessarily that they're kind of listening to that and there's there's big bands that have done that yeah absolutely that have at some point changed the way they go about things one of the one of the best examples of precisely how divisive it can be is probably Metallica I was just gonna say Saint yeah. Anger right Met- or you talking just about Black Saint Album Anger. 
earlier. Yeah, like you, the amount of people I speak to, oh, I'm a massive Metallica fan. I love Metallica. I don't listen to anything after Ride the Lightning. I'm like, that's the first <laughs> two seats. You're not a massive fan. You're a massive fan of when they sounded like thrash. You are a Megadeth fan. Yeah. That pisses them off. Right. But the thing is, yeah, like the Black Album, there's people that hated it. Yeah. No, that's not Metallica. Yeah, well, the next friggin' eight albums sounded kind of like that. So, mm, you sure? Yeah, Sananga pissed people off with, you know, the lack of guitar solos and stuff like that. Of course. You know? My, I know, I, I really piss off Metallica fans when I tell them my favourite albums are probably Load and Reload. <laughs> oh, that shit. Can't have that. No, not allowed to have it. You're not a true Metallica fan. Well, actually, I like as many of their albums as you do. Yeah. I like more than just that. I love Garage Inc. I, I, I like the Black Album. You know, I yeah. yeah, I like, you know, songs like Hit the Lights and, and all that kind of stuff. Awesome yeah. stuff. But Everything. they grew. Don't get angry at them that they're not writing the same songs they were when they were fucking teenagers. Absolutely, because people change and times change. Yeah, one of my favourite bands is Alter Bridge. Oh, which is basically Creed with a different singer. First album was. That first album, One Day Remains, yeah, there are a lot of ties in with Creed and a lot of the songs you sit there going, was this an idea that Tremonti had sitting there waiting for a Creed album that didn't come? Listen to them now. Yeah. It's not Creed anymore. No. That last album wasn't Creed um, um, they they have a uh, edgier sound I yeah think. they've they've hardened and they've in a lot of ways they've gotten heavier with each album like mm. um, I found them when they released AB3 and originally fell in love with the first album because it was a bit more accessible for someone like me that wasn't listening to stuff that was that heavy yep. then I found Blackbird and went this is amazing yep. then I came back to 3 yep. and then when they released Fortress was, you know, there was heavier elements to that, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm more open to this now. Mm-hmm. And then the one after Fortress would have been The Last Hero. And The Last Hero, again, heavier in some aspects again, but they've still got that melodic. Miles Kennedy's got one of the most incredible voices on the, in, in the rock world does, right now. Yeah. And then this last album, Walk the Sky, if that was the first album I'd been would have been given, I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. Doesn't sound in a lot the first one. Um, but... Some of the parts it. of it, yeah, you, my music taste and you know how I open up to some of that heavy stuff has grown with it. Now I just sit back and just that album's a masterpiece. Walk the Sky is a brilliant album, and it's start to finish a good album. It's a package, which is a becoming a lost art form. I like when albums flow song into song. It's something that we put a lot of thought and uh, conversation, uh, sometimes heated, into how we organise the track listing on No Chaser. How important is track listing? I think it's vital. It depends what you're going for. There's two methods of thought, and I had argued with many people about this. As far as I'm concerned, you make it a full package, or you do the, I guess, marketable. You make your first song the big single, and then the next couple of songs are the next few singles, then you get some extra tracks, and at the end you can do your big flowy, you know, let's, you know, the band decides to do whatever they want and go off on a, on a tangent or whatever and you can end the album after that because no one's going to get that far in. That, <laughs> well, that's not how we market it. Yeah, right. We had the songs we knew stood out. We had songs we knew. Like, I knew when we were putting them together, I was like, I reckon the end of Bad Tattoo as it rings out is going to flow into Darkest Day. And Darkest Day is the big seven-minute melancholy epic um, and then get to the end of that, the big ending on that, 
as it fades out with that acoustic, well not acoustic, but definitely lighter toned guitar part. And as that rings out, bring in that acoustic intro to Long Way Home. Yeah. And perk everybody up and build back up into something happy before we hit you with another couple of party songs and then end with the big ball terror. The big bang. Yeah, which is what we wanted. Yeah. So it it ebbs and flows. It's kind of like waves. You, you build up, you have the big intro and then it comes down and a lot of people that reviewed it kind of said, oh, you know, it was, it was, we found it was quite interesting that they went from a big, fashion song like Just a Taste into rock and roll which sounds like it should be a big but it's not it's quite it sits back and it swings and it's more groove based and um, we were four songs in and it had been party 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 well not necessarily but big song big song like big hitting songs like we need to we need to take a left people are going to get tired (laughs) and so we steered it in that direction and people went this is different we have entered the next phase of what we're listening to. Like there, the next chapter. In yeah, you, we were walking through a door into the next room. Yeah. And, yeah, it can't be the same thing for 12 songs. Um, but there are very, very big bands that do that. But <laughs> we didn't want that. With the variation, we had to be careful where we put certain songs. Um, we didn't want people to go through the same thing again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, if you're uploading to... Uh, you know, Spotify and you're doing the whole we're only releasing little chunks of music at a time more often, kind of more marketable way to do it in the current climate in music releases. Yeah, if you're dropping an EP with four songs on it and the first two songs are going to be the singles, you make that first song that first single because then when it goes on Spotify, that's the first song people click and it will get all the streams, it will get all the attention, that gives you the chance to get into those Spotify playlists that people will organically find your music. Yeah. Maybe we're a bit old school when we think about it in that way, but it's more so about, yeah, we wanted it to be a full package rock album. Yeah. Where start to finish, the whole, you can listen to it start to finish. And... Go on those twists and turns. It's mar- It's not marketed as 12 little singles. It's marketed as one thing. Yeah, one big piece. Yeah, which is what people used to do and I, and I really appreciate yes. the artwork in that. I think um, sometimes when you market it like um, one big package, that opens up a lot of creative ideas too. Oh, yeah. Like more so than just doing individual singles. Definitely. Um, you know, because you've got not just the individual element of each piece, but you've got the whole piece, and that's when you can do things like concept albums and, uh, you know, double albums and things like that, you know, and tell stories and weave things in and out. And it's, it's sort of the equivalent of, like, being able to binge watch a show today, whereas watching a bit every week... And then the next year, something else comes out, and sometimes there's a bit of disconnection. Yeah. Whereas when everything flows and it's designed correctly, that in itself is an experience. Like you Definitely. can take like a Pink Floyd album and sit in a fucking room with the lights off, and that's a whole movie. Yeah. You know, that wouldn't work as like here's a song, and then here's another one. You could put them together, sure. But, but it's not going to have the same effect. It's not the same effect. And people put stuff together themselves as well. One of the funniest things I think that has come out of No Chaser is I've heard and read people refer to the last three songs as the, what were they calling it? The 
the Barroom Trilogy or something like that. That's it's, awesome. Because it's Where's My Drink, Bottom of My Bottle and Barfight Blues. It's a it's a party song, a love song, and a fantasy song about like a you know Western bar fight with people swinging <laughs> off chandeliers and shooting and you know rigging gambling and stuff like that. That was just funny. Yeah. The three songs got nothing to do with each other. Yeah. But people have pieced them together. <laughs> Made their own trilogy. Made their own thing, and people are, <laughs> people say I was listening, I was listening to. Where's my drink the other day? And when the song finished, I went to the next song in my playlist and I went, fuck, I thought the next one was going to be bottom of my bottle. I'm like, <laughs> there we go. That means that in their heads, they've pieced it together in the order that we put it in. <laughs> that that means that we put it in the right order. Success. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got a few random little quick questions just to sort of tie it all off. Yeah. Um, but before I ask you those, I want to ask you something um, about one more question about music. Yeah. It's a simple question. It's only four words. Oh, it's five words. Um, but I think that it's an important question that maybe some people ignore. Have you ever wanted to quit? And if you did, why? Have I ever wanted to quit? Have you, has it ever become entirely? Too, or yeah. The, has yeah. it become too much? Or you said, fuck it, this is not worth it? Uh, sometimes uh, in the past there have been moments where you're in the tunnel and you've forgotten that there is a light at the end. Yep. When you're working hard and you, when you're writing that album or you're getting ready to record and you're not playing, you're not seeing any of that instant gratification and you have to keep telling yourself, when this comes out, people will say this is awesome. When this comes out, you'll be able to give. When this comes out, you'll be able to... You'll be, you know, selling merch and doing this. And right now you're putting in the work so that you can reap the rewards later. At those moments, sometimes it's tempting to go, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. Um, I have never been tempted to quit music as a whole because I write music. It's something I do. The music is in my head writing itself, whether I put it to paper or not. Whether I record that guitar riff in my phone, whether I jam that progression on my acoustic in bed whether I write down those lyrics or literally sit there while I'm driving hit the record button on my phone and go da 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 or try to remember whatever idea it was yeah that's gonna happen yep whether I stop it or not I'm not gonna go nah no more music can't do that sure. it's a reflex it's part of my soul I can't stop that you can't turn it off no have I been tempted to quit being in a band doing what we're doing? Yes. There have been stages where my mental health has taken a dive and I have seriously considered boarding myself up in my room for extended periods of time. Uh, we're dragging myself out to go have another conversation about another song that's going to turn into an argument because somebody doesn't want to move from their idea or because I don't think I need to move from my idea or whatever it happens to be gets the better of you. Yeah. Um. And there have been moments where I've gone, if this stuff doesn't start turning up, I don't know how I'm going to keep doing this. But I'm surrounded by people that support me. Um, I'm surrounded by people that will listen when I say, you know fucking what, and have my moment where I go, blur, and all the bullshit comes out, that will sit there and go, that's totally fine. You're allowed to feel that way. That's okay. And I've spoken to people in the past. Uh, I've spoken to you in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I never have. And at this stage, I won't be. 
Good. Because now that I've been through that whole cycle, yep. I know the process. And so you know where the light is even if you can't see it. Yeah, absolutely. And you've just got to hold on sometimes and just ride it out. Like it's it's tricky, you know. It's a hard thing to grasp your head around and sometimes people don't really understand that being in a band is difficult because, <clears throat> yes, there are a lot of good things that come with it and it's fun. Mm. There's a lot of challenges. Oh, yeah. A lot. Huge challenges. Like the fact that people don't, you know, pay for songs and stuff now is a huge thing. And I always say to people, because that's something that I find personally disheartening. Yep. Um, and I just say, you know, when you think about you practice the drums like all the time as a kid, right? Well, mm. I, I did. And then you, you did recently, as we talked about. Mm. When you think about this person who used their skill, like maybe they, like if you're good at mathematics, you might have been an accountant, right? Um, you, you go to all these rehearsals, you convince your parents to let you be a drummer and practice and you do all this stuff and you get to buy a song that you can listen to as many times as you want for the rest of your life for like a dollar thirty nine or whatever it is. Mm. It's not really a big ask. And oh. sometimes, like, when people uh, shit all over that, it gets a little bit disheartening. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who will appreciate it as well. And, you know, as much as you might want to undo things like that, you can't stop some of them from happening. And like you said, support is incredibly invaluable. Support is massively invaluable. You know? um, and now you're right. Um I'm not going to pretend I'm a massive fan of the streaming world that we live in. Um, I'm not going to pretend that when I was a teenager, I wasn't on LimeWire basically giving my computer AIDS so I can listen to those things <laughs> for free. But, um, yeah, we did it. We streamed, we downloaded stuff illegally. We did all that shit. Everybody fucking did it. And now, looking at it from the business side of things, people fucking shouldn't. No, it shouldn't be $50 an album. But at the same time... I remember reading, I think it was Pharrell Williams or someone, you know, when he released Happy, which was the biggest song on the planet for a few months. It got like 4 billion or 2 billion streams or something. Don't quote the numbers because they're wrong. But uh, on Spotify, (laughs) yeah, he got about 40 grand out of it. Yeah. And everybody went, yeah, you made $40,000 out of one song. Motherfucker, if he got 2 billion streams... He should never have to work again. Do you understand how much a billion is? Yeah. People don't. They think it comes after a million. No. Billions yeah. a lot. It is. If you make two billion, if you sell two billion of anything, you, you shouldn't have to work again. You're getting a dollar from it. If you're getting 50 cents, you should still have a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. You sell two billion red skins and you should have a billion dollars. This is a song that took hours Yep. Not only hours of recording and mixing and mastering, not only hours of writing, but the, the the learning and the journey that you've been on and the practicing and everything that's built up to the fact that you now have the ability to write that song yep. is worth more than the 0.03 of a cent that Spotify gives you when someone listens to it. I mean, shit, I think Just the Taste is on like 27,000 streams on, on Spotify. Yeah. And Fuck. that's that's not one cent, that's not three cents. No, no, that's that's point three of one yeah, single p- cent. Yeah, it's point three or point. I think, yeah, I think it is point three actually. I might be wrong before. But 
But that's it. It's fucked. Which means in order to get a cent, someone has to listen to it three and a bit times. Yeah. To get a cent. <laughs> Piss off. Like, it, it, to me, I don't have Spotify Premium. I don't have it either. I don't, I don't agree with it. Like, and I could quite easily. And I understand I get to listen to whatever I want and stuff yeah. like that. But you know what? I still buy CDs. Yeah. I, in that case down there is a CD collection. Yeah, yeah. So. No, and no, that's some, the, for those playing at home, it's a big like acoustic guitar box. <laughs> and no. that's only like half of it. Yeah. Oh, shit. I've got, I've got CDs. When I, when I cleaned out my car and had to get all the CDs out of it, there was 35, 40 CDs in it. And Jeez. most of them were local bands. Yeah. I listened to a lot of local stuff. I, I was looking up a band that I'm obsessed with at the moment from Europe who are in that new wave. It's a band called The New Roses. They've got, I think, four, four or five albums. And I'm looking at it going, right, so that's how much all five of them are going to be in Euros. And in Australia, it's going to cost me that much. So I'm going to get paid. I should be able to buy at least half of them. Because I want the CDs. Yeah. In the car. And I like having the full yep. musical package there. So I can listen to the first track. The tangible thing. Yeah. And I love having that thing in my hands. When we released No Chaser, we went and picked them up from Implant Media. And they'd all been printed yeah. and everything. Yeah. I sat in my car. I cracked open the box. I ripped the plastic off. Yeah. That new... CD out of the plastic smell hit me and I opened it and I opened the book that we had all designed together and flicked through it and saw all the photos and all the lyrics yeah. lifted the CD and looked at the back and looked at the cardboard and everything and just went fuck this is it yeah this is what we put all the work in for is this thing right here and it started with nothing yeah there was nothing there and now I've got 200 copies of this CD we've got to sell <laughs> yeah right, but that marketing was it. skills here that, and that's where that all came back in but yeah <laughs> that was it that tangible thing is always the biggest thing to me and it gives it more value when it is a song being streamed off an app on a computer or a phone people don't have a problem not paying for it because they're not putting value on it yes when you've paid 20 bucks and you've got that CD and you've got that booklet and you've got that or you buy the vinyl and there's the whole the experience the sleeve and the yeah Basically to the point now where I don't think a lot of people really do give that much of a crap about how it sounds on the vinyl because most modern vinyl pressings don't actually sound anywhere near as good as the old ones you see. No. Um, that sleeve and that, that collectible, ownable, tangible thing has moved to the vinyls. Yes. You still do that with a CD. It sounds better. Sounds great. And yeah. you can skip tracks easier. Yeah, that's it. Like <laughs> I kind of just sit there and go, yeah, this vinyl thing, like I understand it, but I don't... I'm not on board with it. I, I like CDs. Yeah, CDs are great. And they still have the booklets. Yeah, you still get your booklet. You still get everything like that. I love flicking through that and seeing the photos. The best one. That's cool. When I, I remember getting chicken foot, one of Chickenfoot's albums and it came with all these... Um, uh, it came with a set of 3D glasses and the case, if you put them on, looked completely different. It came with all these 3D photos of Chickenfoot's... Um, you know, Chickenfoot's... Chad Foot's Smith and Joe Chad Satriani. Chad Smith, Satriani, Sammy Hagar, Mike Anthony. Yeah, super group. And it came cards of theirs that were 3D and like it looked like Chad was throwing the sticks at you and stuff like that and I sit there going this is this is a package Did yeah. that, that, that CD package won awards really? it was yeah because it was just it stood out it right. was cool um, to do something like that would be sick but that sort of deal making it that collectible thing again well, I yeah. think I wonder if that'll be the next thing that brings that CD back because I love people that are like I only listen to cassettes fuck off <laughs> All right, but I understand <laughs> the vinyl thing and the the process of taking out the vinyl and putting it down and getting the needle and finding the groove, all that kind of shit. Yeah. Cool. But when I'm driving around 
in my work van with the dodgy aftermarket Bluetooth on it, right? No, I'm not fucking with my phone the whole time while I'm driving. Shove yeah. the CD in and enjoy it. That And that's the experience you're paying for. Yeah, even with EPs. A band will put out a three-song EP and 10 minutes in the CD's over. I'm like, why? More. <laughs> that's why Harry P ended up having six songs. <laughs> Uh, and the cool thing about CDs, like, you know, before, um, like, as a kid, um, you know, like, internet was around, but it wasn't like, if you wanted to see what a band looked like or whatever, you bought the CD and, like, looked in the booklet and stuff like that. So there's nostalgic value. Oh, big too, time. You, know? um, you go through all that stuff again. You find CDs that are old or whatever happens to be. You end up, um, yeah, you end up looking at, those CDs and listening to those songs again and, and getting sent back to wherever it was that you heard it the it's first time. time. Warp. That's it. It can be a ma- music as a rule can be a massive time warp, but opening those CDs and stuff again, seeing that design or that random gash on the CD where you thought, fuck, I hope this still works and it yeah. did. <laughs> like that kind of stuff. It's still, yeah, it's still very much part of it. It's all, it's all part of the musical journey and, yep. um, you know, things go in waves anyway, come and go. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to wrap up. I've got a few sort of quick fire questions I'm going to ask at, ask at you and yep. we'll see what your responses are. I don't know what they're going to be because I don't even know if we've discussed some of these things. So <laughs> it's going to be purely winging it. Okay. All right. So what has been your worst onstage moment? Um, I had a situation in, uh, another gig in Spain where for whatever reason, the floor of the gig was absolutely absurd of, of the stage, sorry. And the kit was just running away in different directions. I'm, I'm kicking pretty hard and the bass is just taken off. I've got cymbal stands jumping backwards. I've never experienced anything like I've just basically wanted to orchestrate the thing to the wall behind me. <laughs> I was so pissed off. But I've had I've thrown broken sticks behind me and they've bounced off the wall and clocked me in the head. I've had, you know, situations where I can't hear myself at all and I've got no idea if I'm singing in key. I'm shitting myself about just that. Guessing. Yeah, or yeah. just moments where I've ripped a finger open, I've got blood pissing down my hand, I'm like, fuck it, you got to keep playing. Yeah. And basically almost gone into shock after I've gone off stage because it's massive shit going on with my hand, all of that. I've had some doozies. Some bad some bad drumming accidents, huh? Oh, yeah. Drummers, um, you've got to be really fit for drumming. People don't realise that, mm. and, uh, you know, match fit. And there's a lot of injuries, like everything you just said. And like I know a dude who uh, was, you know... Um, was hitting like a china or something like that and he like went forward and came back and like fully clocked himself in the back of the head and that shit hurts man like it's bone yeah you know on wood like you hit yourself on the knuckle it's not pleasant no and i've fucked a lot of fingers doing stuff like that yeah oh yeah i could only imagine um all right next question worst fan encounter oh worst fan encounter I don't know. I haven't really. Oh, yes, I do. When we played with John Karabi in Adelaide on that tour, it was the last show of the tour. We had a blast. And afterwards, um, one of the tour managers came up and said, hey, look, after the gig, everybody hang around. We're going to have a drink. The bands are all going to hang out. Finally get a chance to chill after this crazy weekend. You can get photos with John and everything like that. We're like, oh, well, we'll get a big photo together. He's like, yeah, yeah, John wants a photo with all the bands from this tour and stuff like that. We're like, sick. We're all hanging out and stuff, and out of nowhere, this crazy old chick rocks up with a saxophone. 
with an alto sax and just starts playing. But she's not playing songs. She's and it was the worst sounding thing I've ever heard. And in the end, we just said, yeah, look, everybody's over this, we're leaving. So we went out the back and down the stairs at Enigma where we played. And everyone's talking in the car park. We're getting back into it. All of a sudden, this chick pops up again and he's playing. And like, right. So, yeah, we hung out and we talked shit and we met everybody out at each other on Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, the chance yeah. to actually hang out with a bunch of these international touring musicians and talk shit and have a laugh was destroyed yeah. by this friggin' idiot. With a saxophone. Yeah, it's like, dude, listen to the show. The, the gig was over. People have been asked to leave the venue and she's just come <laughs> back up the stairs and no one stopped her. And we just kind of went, what's happening? What? And we were laughing until it got really annoying. We yeah, went, that crosses on. that point. Oh, of being we funny. were just pissed off. Yeah. What? Well, uh, randomly, who brings a saxophone to a rock show? Like in their bag or something? I don't know what the hell happened. It's Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> Radelaide. It's a okay. cool place. No, I love playing in Adelaide, but I have no idea what that night was. Maybe someone from Adelaide. <laughs> If anybody from Adelaide checks this out, might uh, know who this person was. <laughs> Crazy saxophone lady. You can imagine a couple of people from Adelaide going, her. <laughs> <laughs> I know that chick. Oh, her. <laughs> she, yeah, maybe she turns up at other people's shows. I we might have know. to ask around and see if any other bands have seen her turn up. Yeah, the worst part was Dinah going, hey, do you know Baker Street? I'm like, shut up. Don't encourage him. <laughs> All right, and weirdest thing you've seen, either at a show or on a tour, um, on stage or backstage from the stage? Okay. The weirdest, most odd kind of thing. It, it, it can be crazy or it can be just fucked up. Weirdest thing I've ever seen at a gig. Yeah, or experienced. Or experienced. Nothing will cap this. Unfortunately, it's not something weird that happened in Europe. It wasn't anything, you know, particularly rock and roll. Way, way back, before I met you. Oh, wow. We played a gig at a festival that never happened again. (laughs) Oh, this would be good. Called Scorcher Fest. Scorcher Fest. Yeah, and this was at a a bar in Brunswick. Yeah, Um, I think it was... It was called Sound Bar, I think, but it wasn't the same Sound Bar that was better known. It was another Sound Bar. And we played this gig. They sold us tickets. They said, we're going to give you this many tickets. You have to pay $400 to us for all these tickets. And then you have to sell them and what you make is your profit. So great for them. They made all their money before sales had started. <laughs> and looking back now, we would she should have said, fuck you. Yeah, of course. But we ended they scorched up playing. You. Yeah, they fucked you. <laughs> but they um they this gig, we were gonna play in this little corner in one of there was three different rooms going on, and one of them was basically set up as a bar, and we were playing on the floor in the corner. The main stage in the actual proper band room at this venue was um, empty. The bands had finished. So I went up to the organiser and I said, okay, we're a five-piece rock band that's actually sold our quota of tickets to this shit fest. The band on After Us has come all the way from Tasmania and we ended up making friends with them and they ended up helping us, or one of them, Nathan, ended up helping us get to Tasmania to tour the the first two times we went. Um, And then... The band after us was Ben's other band with our original singer, which was a heavier screamo kind of band. And then there was this, there was another band between the two of us. 
and then someone else is on at the end of him. Put us on the main stage. It's shut. Why would you have five-piece rock and metal bands wedged in a corner in the bar when there's a band room that's empty after 9 p.m.? What are you doing? And he went, oh, actually, yeah, we should be able to do that. So it's been organised like shit. <laughs> so they've moved it around. We've gotten up and played. The Tazzies have gotten up and played. No issue. Then, then it was us, sorry, because I had to help him get all these fucking music metal drummers. So he had 14,000 A lot symbols. of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then between us and the other and Ben's other band, the 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 more hardcore band, um, this band came on called Omelette. I had never heard of them before. I have not heard of them since. They came on and first of all, ran the back in the little green room. They were all racking lines. Yeah, right. Right. We as a band just starting to gig and stuff, never experienced any of that before. So we went, <laughs> I remember the boys coming out and going, so we just saw them doing fucking all this shit. And we went, oh, okay. These guys came out. Yeah. This is Omelette. Omelette. They had a half hour set, I think. Most of us did that day because it was quick fire. They'd already ripped us off. They wanted us out. Yeah. They came out wearing tinfoil hats. The singer had a fishnet draped all over him and had gone down to a seafood market and literally wedged whole actual fucking fish <laughs> into the netting. And I cannot remember what... The, Dinan remembers it better. Cannot remember the stuff they sang about. I, can, I just remember it was one song. They got to the 45-minute mark... And they ended up pulling the plugs out, flicking the lights on and saying, get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> These guys had basically gotten up, gotten high, come out and just decided to fucking ambient jam for 45 minutes in a half hour set. With fish in their pants. With fish in their tops. And, and I remember when they were getting off the stage, they were packing up and everybody's going, you guys are fucking shit, piss off. I mean, all of the 20 people that were in the room. And... One of our mates went, what the fuck? We're waiting for decent music. And the guy turned around, pulled out one of the fish and threw it at her. And I'm not talking about like a little fucking bait fish or something. This was like a fucking salmon. It was like thrown a fucking half frozen salmon at one of my mates at her feet and gone, chill the fuck out. And I jumped up on the stage and said, I will beat you to death with that fucking fish. I was so angry. I ended up just, I lost it. I was like, fuck you. And, and in the end, Ben's other band came out and played, but... Most people have left <laughs> at that point. Yeah. And in the end, it ran over time and stuff, and we just went, fuck these assholes. And we, we yeah, that fen- that festival never came back. That might have been a rip-off scheme to start with, to be honest. So not having any of that, putting up with any of that shit again at yeah. a show. Yeah. But it sounds like a disaster. That Badly was the organized. weirdest. That was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in a gig. The saxophone thing was up <laughs> Both excellent choices uh, oh, yeah. for answers there. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks again, Dan, for coming on today. And I know, uh, yeah, like I said before, you've always been supportive and it's awesome to have you on as one of the first guests. And um, I'll get you back again anyway and we'll carry on the story. Because <laughs> we still haven't talked about a lot of stuff that I wanted to cover, but you know what? It's more fuel for another day. Sounds good to me. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's Dan Mangano. And if you are interested in anything <coughs> to do with the Blazers band, you can go to www.ablazeband.com 
or facebook.com forward slash ablazeband and you can also find them on Bandcamp. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Mangano, I'm Tommy Rocket. It's your daily afternoon excess. 